The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Is it on? There we go. Okay. Good morning, everybody, and welcome this morning. I also want to extend a warm welcome to any visitors that we have, maybe some visiting, like I have, family in town for Thanksgiving. Hope that you all had a wonderful holiday. I am excited this morning to continue our series on experiencing and knowing the will of God. It's based on the Henry Blackaby series on experiencing God. And this morning is, is interesting because it continues on what Pastor Mark spoke about last week, the crisis of belief, where we come into this place where God has now spoken, and what comes next? How do we respond? So this morning, the title of the message is The Cost of the Call. Would you just pray with me for one quick moment here? Father, We recognize as we dive into this topic that, Lord, you've given everything for us. And we are so grateful this morning, this week following a week of Thanksgiving, a week of looking back on all that you've done, all that you're doing with gratitude, God. Many of us, though we've lost ones we love, still have others we love gathered around these tables, feasting and enjoying and fellowshipping with one another. But Lord, this morning is is about reminding ourselves of the source of all that is good, all that is true, and all that we have to be grateful for. And so, Lord, we just want to give this morning to you, open up our hearts and minds, and hear what you have to speak to us. So would you give me the ability to speak clearly and concisely what you've shown me, Lord, what you've spoken first to my own heart. And would you give my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, the ability to hear and respond And let your word change us, Lord. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that makes all of this possible. And we pray that anyone that's here this morning in this room that does not know the joy of Jesus, the new life that you alone can give, that this morning would be their first morning to be welcomed into the family of God, Lord. And uh, that they they would respond to your invitation, Lord. So have your way right now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1904, a young man named William Borden had everything going for him. He was charming, charismatic, wealthy. At this point, due to wealth he was inheriting from his father, he was already, he was already a millionaire. He was a gifted athlete. He was perfectly positioned to achieve whatever he desired. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave their 16-year-old son a trip around the world with a personal tutor. 
As he traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, his childhood faith was revived. See, he had been under the teaching of some great preachers there in Chicago. His mom had been converted when he was a small child, and at seven years old, he'd given his life to Christ. But growing up in a household, of course, of privilege, he hadn't always walked in that. And as he's traveling throughout the world, he felt his heart stirred to be one that takes the gospel to them as a missionary. As he wrote home with his intention, one friend that found out expressed disbelief that Borden was throwing himself away as a missionary. He arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905. During his college years, Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what all of his classmates saw in him. The entry simply said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During that first semester at Yale, Borden started a small morning prayer group with just a couple of friends that eventually gave birth to a movement by the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. And by the time that Borden was a senior, 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale had come to faith and were meeting in these Bible study and prayer meetings. The impact shook the whole campus. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows, orphans, and the disabled, as well as the homeless. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. He founded Yale Hope Mission with the own funds that he had inherited from his father. A visiting British theologian was asked what he found most impressive about America. He replied during an interview, the sight of that young millionaire Borden kneeling in prayer in a gutter beside a homeless man down by the Yale Hope Mission, he replied. Not only did Borden support the work with his time, but he purchased the buildings for a chapel, hotel, kitchen, where thousands, 14,000 men received the gospel, thousands received warm meals. He provided uh, lodging for about 8,000 of them. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down many high-paying job offers, and after completing graduate work at Princeton Seminary, he sailed for China because he felt called to work with the Chinese Muslims. He first went to Egypt to study Arabic, and while there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, 25-year-old William Borden died. When the news of Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper, and a wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, wrote his biographer. And on his gravestone, among other things, were inscribed the words, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. Now, with stories like this, the question arises, what application does this have to me, to you, in this room? Now, in a room this size, no doubt there is someone God is going to speak to, hopefully even this morning, and you might be one of those few that is called to sell all and go far, far away from here. You might be called to leave your family and all that you know here and go to a foreign land like many have through the centuries and take the gospel to a people group perhaps that have never known the truth of the gospel. We've had some that have done that. Even Mary, some of you may remember from several months ago, came back to share about what God's been doing in and through her as her call to, to missions in Panama. 
But what about everybody else? Let's say that's one, two, three, maybe 5% of the room. What about everybody else? When we hear stories like this and so many others, how does this apply to us? For the past seven weeks, Pastor Mark has shared messages challenging us to embrace a life of knowing God deeply, showing from scriptures like John 15, this, this type of experience that the Christian life is meant to be of abiding in the vine and letting his life flow through us. Many of us love the idea of a close walk with God. We want to know God. We want to hear him speak. But are we ready for what comes next? Every real encounter with God in the Bible leads to life change. You cannot stay the same with an encounter with this living God. Let's just give a few examples, reminding ourselves. Noah he had to look like a fool by obeying God and building an ark when there had never been a flood. There had never been anything like what he was warning about. And it took him many, many years to build this while he looked like a fool to the surrounding people. Abram, later Abraham, had to leave his family's homeland and go to a land he had never seen after his encounter with God. Moses couldn't stay out in the wilderness with his new family, his wife, his children, his father-in-law. He had to go into and face Pharaoh to fulfill God's call in his life after that encounter at the burning bush. David had to leave his sheep to become king. Mary had to give up her culture's ideal of a perfect engagement and experience shame to birth Jesus. The disciples had to leave their vocations to become followers of Jesus. Saul, later known as Paul, had to do a complete 180. His entire life had been devoted to this religious pursuit. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own account. And after this account with Jesus, everything changed. And the people that he formerly persecuted, he joined and became one of the greatest throughout history, perhaps the greatest missionary and, and apostle in establishing churches, preaching the gospel Two of the good news and writing the books that we now know, many of them in the New Testament that we read. So we have all of these examples. Let's, let's look at Luke 14, 33. It'll hopefully be on the screen. You can turn there if you'd like. This is a challenging verse. It says, therefore, any of you, Jesus is talking here, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When we read scriptures like this, you know, we want to explain it away. We want to say it's figurative, right? Like, it's not for real. But a few chapters later, we have this account where a young man comes to Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. If you want to turn there, it'll be on the screen again, hopefully as well. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 through 23. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You know, sometimes we read a story like this, and 
naturally, humanly, we sympathize with this young man, right? Inwardly thinking, how could Jesus ask so much? But Jesus knew something that we don't, didn't, don't know just reading this, the account. Jesus knew that this young man's wealth and possessions were holding him back from experiencing the life that God had for him. Jesus didn't tell this to everybody, notice, right? This wasn't just a, you know, a blanket call to everyone. But for this young man, some people believe that he had gained this wealth through injustice. We don't know that. The text doesn't clearly state that, right? We don't know how he became wealthy. Maybe it was just inherited from his family. But whatever it was, there was something to this wealth and this possessions that was holding him back from the call that Jesus had. And Jesus said, look, you really want to experience this life in me? You really want to go to the next level? You really want to know what it is to follow me? Then you got to let everything go. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Do you realize that Another thing, do you realize that this call wasn't given to many? Like we know there's the 12 disciples, right? How many other people had this type of invitation to go and be a disciple of Jesus? He was one of them. So it was very rare. Also, how many stories have you heard or read about where rich people die in misery, realizing that all the things they clutched and held on to never brought them joy? There was a young lady in New York City that all her life, she had gone to church, was super religious. Her Christian life consisted of checking boxes, doing her duty so she could stay on the right side of God. And then she came into a church where the radical grace, the radical gospel, good news of Jesus was preached. And she came to understand that there was nothing she could do to make herself worthy before God. That everything was a gift. That Jesus Christ on the cross had paid the price for her. And when she finally understood this, she, in a conversation with the pastor, said, that's a scary idea. Scary good, but still scary. And the pastor replied, why? She replied, if I'm saved by my good works, there would be a limit to what God would ask of me or could, could ask of me or put me through. I'd be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now deserve a certain quality of life. But if it's really true that I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost, then there is nothing that he cannot ask of me. Think about that. Matthew 13, says, this is Jesus talking. And he's trying to give us a picture. He uses a few different um, stories, examples, to, to show us what this kingdom of heaven that he's inviting us into is. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Yes, following Jesus comes with a cost. Jesus gave everything up for us to bring us into relationship with himself. He calls us to abandon everything to join that union in full surrender. And only when we fully surrender to our attachment to the vine with his life flowing through us will we become the people that he's intended. You see, it's not that our vision of this world and its attractions and ambitions are too big necessarily, okay? It's our vision of God and his kingdom is too small. 
Let's, let's think about this story that he's saying. So this man that finds this treasure hidden out in a field, right? So we often think of, you know, when we're hearing messages like this, our mind might quickly go, okay, it's another one of these radical missions messages, doesn't really apply to me, or, you know, or, or man, this is, this is a little bit strong, sell everything I have. But, but I think we forget of what we're, what we're pursuing, right? So th- think about this story. This, this man goes out and finds this treasure. And it says, in, enjoy, he goes back to sell everything he has. We don't know what that was. Probably properties, right? Probably possessions, furniture, maybe animals. Maybe he was a farmer. We don't know. But he sold everything he had to go purchase that field because the treasure was worth more. And that's what we have to see, friends, this morning, is that when God calls us to lay things down, it's because there's something more. Think about the disciples for a minute. You know, there, is, there was sacrifices made by them. You remember the call when Jesus goes out and he invites Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him. You guys remember these stories, right, where he goes around inviting these disciples, Matthew, a tax collector, all these different young men. Most people believe they were very young, teenagers, young adults, okay? So he goes around inviting them. And, and sometimes, you know, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we think that's, that's a pretty great sacrifice. Leave the family fishing business, go and follow Jesus. What we, what we sometimes fail to recognize is this. Within that culture, one of the greatest honors for a Jewish young man was to be chosen and selected, handpicked by a rabbi, to be able to follow him in close proximity, learn from him, and become a teacher like him. And for a period of time, Jesus wasn't just any rabbi. Everyone recognized that the type of teaching that he was doing and then the miracles that he was performing were unlike any other. And so they were like in this elite squad. And so yes, there was a sacrifice, but what they were leaving was worth far less than what they were pursuing. It's only a sacrifice if what we are leaving behind is worth more than what we are gaining. Again, our issue is not that our view of the world is too large. It's that our view of God and his kingdom is too small. Jim Elliott penned these words. He was a young man that also gave his life to reach an unreached people group down in South America. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As we go through this this morning, I don't know what those things are for you, and I'm going to mention a lot of different things, but I want to provide some clarity on on this calling, right? So we give examples, and we do that regularly here. We, We may use stories from Scripture or stories from history, but I want to make one thing clear. This calling to know God and know His will and pursue His purpose for your life, it's not a prescription, We can't tell you when you come in the doors here, follow these 10 steps, right? And they're exactly the same for every different person. There's principles, yes, but but it's not a prescription. It's not a program. There was a bus ministry that was started. There There was a church that really wanted to reach their community, okay? And so they sought the Lord and like, God, how can we reach these people? We're just a small church. And so God led them to start this bus ministry and they began to bus people in from all of the surrounding areas. Transportation was a real issue in that area. A lot of people didn't have the ability to transport themselves to church. And so they started offering this free bus transportation all throughout their region. And their church grew hundreds of 
people came to know Christ. They became, to, became a very large congregation. So this is in America. So what do we do in America, right? Everybody hears these stories. This church is blowing up. They got a bus ministry. So everybody's like, how did you do this? How can we do what you're doing? So they wrote a book. You know, Bus Ministry 101, they, 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 they wrote this book, this manual essentially to how to do what they did. So all these churches around the country started copying what this church did, right? What do you think happened? About a year, two years, three years later, there's a lot of buses for sale. You see, what God calls one person, one group of people, one church to do, it's not a blanket prescription for everyone else to follow. What God wants is he wants that relationship with us. You see, when you look at scripture, all throughout the Bible, you see these stories of people encountering God. But I want to ask you, how many stories of a person encountering God in a burning bush are there? How many times did God tell his people to conquer a city by marching around the walls? Once, right? How many times did God have the, the choir, the band, lead the way into battle? That's another way that God brought victory to his people in one of the battles that they fought. It's one time. And you see, they were, they were never supposed to make that the recipe. They were never just supposed to, now we know, we just got to march around every city and the walls will come down. Or now we know, we just send our singers, most vulnerable people, into battle first and God will win the victory for us every time. no. He wanted them to keep coming back to him for a specific call, a specific word at that time. That's the kind of relationship that he wants for us. Each one of these things happened once. I want to I bring clarity on another thing. So this does not always mean a change in vocation or location. And, and, and hopefully as, as we bring this to the, to the final point, points, it'll start to make sense for everyone. But for many of us, many of us in this room, we hear stories like that and there's a disconnection because we're not in a position, at least at this time, many of us have young children. It's like, I can't just quit my job. You know, I, I can't just move. Although again, for someone in this room, that may be God's call. And God is calling us to surrender to the point to where if he were to call us to do that, we'd be willing. And that's the heart God wants. But for many of us, that may not be the call that God is giving us at this time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is talking to a group of, of believers that have a lot of baggage. Some of them were married, some were single, some had unbelieving spouses. They had gotten saved, their spouses weren't saved, had abandoned them. Some of them were slaves. They were in all different circumstances. Some were circumcised as Jews, some were outside of the Jewish family, right? They were not circumcised, they were outsiders. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 24, I like the translation in, in the, the, the King James Version. It says, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And so the words that, that God gives through Paul, the writer in this, was, was simply this. The call is that regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your vocation, regardless of your stage in life, the call still applies. No one is disqualified this morning. Life circumstances poor past decisions, abuse you have experienced, 
a difficult vocation or season of life. God makes it clear in his word that each and every one of us is called to this abiding in Christ, to this surrender. We don't know what it will lead to. But right now, it's not a wait until things get better. Wait until this relationship gets better. Wait until I get a better job. Wait until I can get into a better situation. Wait until my kids are older and I have more time. God wants this relationship now. And that's why there's not a prescription or recipe to say this is exactly what it looks like for you. Because what it looks like for someone over on this side of the room may be completely different than what it looks like for someone over here. But here's what it does mean. It means that God wants this intimate and personal relationship with each and every one of us. And here's what it does mean. It does mean a complete reorientation of your purpose and priorities. I want to turn to the final scripture we're going to look at today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if you can just, if you've got a Bible, just go ahead and turn there, even though it'll be on the screen. If you haven't marked this, already, you know, please put a star or something beside this in your Bible. This is something to come back to. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is the application for each and every one of us. This is God's call. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, until we come to this place where we lay our lives down, our wills down, the ambitions and desires for a life that we have. This is the call that God has for each and every one of us. It says, once you do this, then you'll come to know. You'll be able to discern the will of God. Some of us, some of us are like, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Speak to me, God. You know, you may have struggled as we went through some of these earlier messages about two in a row and God speaks and you hear these stories about God speaking to other people and like, why isn't God speaking to me? And maybe for you, you know that you've responded to Christ. You believe in him. But I want to ask you this morning, when you read this text, have you laid your life down as a living sacrifice to God? Are you letting him transform and renew your minds through the word. It says that in this way, you'll come to be able to discern what is the will of God by testing. God does a deep work in us when we lay everything down. And there's an adjustment that happens to our thinking, to our actions, to our motives, our dreams, our ambitions, our relationships, our vocation, our possessions. You see, just like that young lady in New York City that came to the conclusion that this was good news, but it was scary. When you recognize that Christ has given everything for you, you start to realize this Christian life is so much more than just checking boxes. It's a giving of yourself as he gave for you that he has bought us with a price. It looks different, like I said, for each and every one of us. I want to just share a little bit, 
just for a couple of moments as we conclude of, of my story, our story, our family's story. So going back to the age of 15 years old, God got a hold of my life, and I read a lot of stories at that time about young men like William Borden, and I was challenged and convicted and felt called by God to be a, a, a preacher, a missionary, someone on, on mission for Jesus. And so I started and pursued many different things, started ministries with friends, a children's ministry, a magazine, and started to do a lot of outreach and evangelism, started preaching at a young age, went to Bible college for a few years, did an internship in Ireland, all in this, this pursuit of, of God's call of ministry. Got out of Bible college, finished that, became a youth pastor in Wisconsin for a few years, and then God called us, our family, to move to Baltimore. And there in Baltimore, for, for years, we worked with a team building up a church in the inner city there. We were part of the core planting team. I became a pastor in that church and, and, and helped to lead that church. And at a period of time, everything seemed to be aligning. That church was going well, and they were ready to send me out and I was going to finally plant my own church. And so I went and got approved by the Southern Baptists at that time. I was one, and I went through this whole approval process, both my wife and I. We were one of their top, you know, their top planters for that year. And we had funding in place. We had a building in place. We had people that were supporting us. We had all kinds of things. Everything seemed to align. It's like that open door Pastor Mark talked about. But there was... There, there was something not right. I had one of my closest friends at the time and my wife didn't feel a peace about the step we were about to take. And, and they're like, this isn't right. This isn't the right timing. There's something wrong. And so that just obviously two people closest to me kind of sent me reeling, but this is everything I've worked for all these lot years. At, at this point, I was, I was 30 years old. Fifth, half of my life I'd spent preparing for this. And so I went before God and, and God showed me that that was not the time, that was not the place. And I had to lay all of this down, a seemingly good thing down, right? And for a season of my life, God called me into vocationally into business full time. And that's what eventually led us to Virginia here and our family actually being here this morning. And, you know, it's, it was up until this, this last year, though, where, you know, I couldn't have known all that was going to transpire in these last few years. What I didn't know at the time, you know, being a guy just pushing ahead was my family was burned out. We had been ministering to people at our home for years, right? Our, our, our marriage needed a lot of work. We were, we were in a place of vulnerability and brokenness. I didn't know all of that. I was just pursuing, and, and God in his graciousness redirected me and put me into this place of just surrendering everything I wanted to him. And so for a few years, I gave up ministry. I gave up any kind of public preaching or any kind of serving in that way and just poured into my family and was faithful in this business God called me to. And, and so the point in sharing this is this. God now has us in a place where we are so grateful. We've been part of the King's Chapel now since 2018, and God has used this church to build up our family and minister to us, and we're so thankful for the family of God that we have here with you and that we can, we can contribute, that I have the privilege of, of serving alongside Pastor Mark and the elders and the other pastors here. And, and so the point is we, we don't know. We don't know. And that's why it's going to look different, right? Because everyone else looking from the outside, well, of course you're called to do that, Tyler. Just go do it, right? And so this morning, I can't make the specific application for you. 
But I do want to challenge you to, to look internally and ask the Lord, what is it that I'm called to surrender? What is it that I'm called to lay down? There is a cost to this call, but I'm telling you, friends, it's like that treasure in the field. What God has for us is so much greater. Have you ever seen a young child? You have something so much better for them, but they just clutch on to what they have, right? Like imagine a child hanging on to these old broken toys, and you've got all these presents over here, and you're saying, child, lay down these because I've got something better. And they, there's, there's a giving up that has to happen in order to embrace the new. Some of you came into the service this morning and, and you, thinking you were forgotten. Your dreams have, have been smashed. Your hope is quenched. And I, and I believe this morning God is speaking to you. There was a purpose in all of that. And it does, a dream deferred does not mean that there wasn't something there from God. Some of you came in this morning and you feel disqualified, even hearing the stories. You mistakenly think that God only uses perfect people. I want to remind you, Noah, he had a drinking issue. Sarah lacked faith to believe God could provide a miracle baby in her barren womb. Moses had an anger issue. He actually murdered a man, seemingly outside the will of God. David committed adultery and ripped his family apart, but each repented, each was used powerfully by God. And that's the message for you this morning, that because of what Jesus Christ has done, no one, no one is disqualified from this life that God has. And some of you, you know that God is calling you, but you are scared to let go. And sometimes we're like this. We're saying, God, I want what you have, but we we're holding on to what we have. Okay, and our hands are clutched and our arms are folded. And God is saying, like, you have to be, you have to give up to receive. See, when our hands are clutched, we can't open up and receive what someone else is giving us. And that's how our posture is before God many times. We're holding on to and gripping all these things in our life because we think they're worth more and we need to open our eyes to see God has something better for us. And it may not be giving up everything in your hands, but that opening up lets us receive the more of what God has. And so this morning, I want to ask you, are your hands open to God? I have one final illustration, because as I was preparing, I really felt there was a few people here that just feel really broken. And you're trying to connect the dots on why God would allow things in your life that have brought this brokenness I read this story this last week that I, that I just felt was a, a fitting conclusion. There was a mom in a checkout line at the Dollar Tree, and she had a bunch of stuff in her cart, and her one child, small child, was crying and fussing, and like little children often do, right? Impatient as the line was long. And so she finally reaches into the cart and pulls out this, this um, package of glow sticks and hands the child a couple of glow sticks. And for a few minutes, the child's entertaining himself and, and then gets frustrated again as they were about to leave the store and starts to fuss again. And the other child, older child that's with them, reaches, grabs the glow sticks out of the young child's hand and the mom was about to reprimand the child, the older child, of course, like you're making your little brother upset and took and broke those glow sticks in multiple places and handed them back. And as they went out into the dark of the night, the glow sticks glowed. And the older child said to the younger child, I just wanted to show you what they were for. I wanted to show you their purpose. And, and sometimes we go through this, this period of, of breaking 
where we experience through circumstances and broken relationships and things in our lives that go wrong, that God can turn in his sovereign grace and redeem every single thing that's gone wrong in your life. Bad decisions you've made even, but things you can't control, people you've lost and and, and just the brokenness that you feel inside. And some of us go through those things because without it, we'll never know our true purpose. And you're like that glow stick that God wants to make a, a light in a world that needs light, a world filled with so much darkness. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we conclude, would you bring the application home to every heart? God, would you speak to us even things I did not say, Lord? Would you remove that which I spoke, which was not from you? And would you press into our hearts this invitation, this call to know you, to know your will, but more than just that, God, to respond to your call, even though there's a cost, but to recognize like the treasure in the field that the, the thing we're pursuing is worth far more than what we are leaving behind, that this relationship with you, our living King, our God, the one that breathed life into us, that sustains us to this very day, that you want that relationship with us and it's worth far more than anything we could lay aside to have that. Lord, help us embrace. For anyone in this room called to something radical that called like Borden to just lay everything down and go, may they be faithful to hear that call from you and go. And for all of us, God, may we, like Romans talks about, lay our lives down as living sacrifices and be a church of people, Lord, on mission for you, letting your life flow through us so that this world can see your light pulsating out through this body through each and every individual. In Jesus' name, amen.